0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for the 31st day of December, New Year's Eve 2022. Today, we present to you the essay edition for December 2022. As we stand on the brink of a new year, it is time to look forward with hopefulness and optimism. Events of yesterday can cause even the cheeriest among us to be discouraged and pessimistic. But yesterday is in the past, where it needs to remain. In front of us is a limitless horizon of possibilities. Let's take a moment for hope, in a world that seems to mock the hopeful by insisting on pointing out the bad. Now, this is no head-in-the-sand, Pollyanna incident, but I think it is important to carve out space for the optimistic, lest we be unprepared for the blessing of tomorrow. I know we have problems. Every person that has come before us has had their issues, and all of them seem dire in the moment. To be fair, some of them were dire. But each generation and each culture is more responsible for the moment that they are in, and the moments that they are walking into. For our moment of optimism, we turn to our Savior, in His most famous sermon delivered to a group of His friends and followers who were living as a dispersed people, Under the shadow of an oppressor. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 record the Sermon on the Mount, and while it contains the most challenging of Jesus' principles and commands, it is also the most optimistic slice of literature, perhaps, in the history of the world. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. The context of this command comes within a segment on worry. Jesus tells us not to worry about our life, what we will eat or drink, or what we will wear. These instructions are lost on us as we live in the most prosperous time in the history of the world. Very few of us give more than a passing thought as to what we will eat or what we will wear. We only think of these things from a place of abundance— we are not concerned that we will not have enough food or that we do not have adequate winter clothing. We are only concerned with which restaurant we want to go to, where there's a shorter wait time, or where they give the most bang for the buck. Our clothing options are so diverse that we only worry about matching colors and patterns. These are great problems to have, I suppose, but they remove us so far from the audience of Jesus that we miss the value of his instruction. So let's try again. In Christ's world, it is difficult to quantify the level of poverty and famine that was commonplace in any given region. Sakari Hakinen of the University of Pretoria in South Africa writes that poverty was a visible and common phenomenon in the ancient world. According to estimations, 9 out of 10 people live close to the substance level or below it. There was no middle class. Up to 70% of the population were part of the working class, meaning that they were not free to decide what to do with their lives. They were tied to physical labor in some way, with no means up the social ladder. Nearly 30% of the population, and that's nearly 100% total in case you're keeping count, were beggars, robbers, bandits, prostitutes, and other despised people. Use this information as perspective when you think of things like Jesus' miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. The reason that all four Gospels include this story is because of the magnitude of such an event in a world so consumed with survival. Food storage was non-existent. Preservatives and processed goods were centuries away from existence, and almost no one had the luxury of eating to excess. The reason gluttony was so frowned upon in Scripture is likely due to the fact that if you had enough to eat to excess, you were depriving someone else of having enough to survive. When Jesus told his listeners not to worry about food, it would have been something like saying, don't worry about politics to a modern-day American. We are so inundated with discussions of politics that it's nearly impossible to avoid them on a daily basis. There is extreme pressure to take a side and form a political opinion because we live in a representative democracy, and we've been raised with a sense of civic responsibility that demands we participate or suffer under whatever conditions we've brought upon ourselves. Now, do with that information what you will, but... I use it to illustrate the folly that would be found in a modern pundit declaring, Hey, don't worry about politics. We just would not take that person seriously. Such was the world in Christ's day. Don't worry about food or clothes was an immature and silly comment in a world consumed with where they would get their next meal and with how they would clothe their children during the frigid winter. Such a fool should be ignored at best and crucified at worst. But Jesus is not trying to be subversive or silly. He is speaking hope into a hopeless world. He is the optimist that sees a truth no one else can see. To counter their fear, Jesus points out that birds eat and flowers are beautiful, two simple examples in a simple world. The birds do nothing and yet they survive. The flowers produce nothing but beauty and yet they do it effortlessly. Is Jesus promoting a hands-off, less-effort style approach? Just do nothing and you will make it? I propose the answer might be a little closer to yes than you think. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Matthew chapter 6 verse 26. That question is the key. Value lost creates a world of pessimism. If we do not perceive ourselves as valuable, then we mistreat ourselves and, in turn, mistreat the world around us. When value is restored, we find that we matter, and if we matter, then others do too. Such a world is worth preserving and maintaining, but better yet, such people are worth saving. Jesus is showing his audience that their heavenly father loves them too much to abandon them to a fallen world. If they simply seek him and his ways, the other things will fall into line, for they cannot be replaced. They are too valuable. Much is lost on us when translating from original Greek to modern English. When Jesus told them to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he used the word that also translates as justice. And it seems most appropriate here. Seek the kingdom that does not look like or operate like this kingdom. In that kingdom, there is justice in a way that justice is unknown here. When you look to implement that kind of justice, all the other things fall into place. All is made right as you strive to make all things right. Jesus is telling us to seek the justice of God on the earth more than the things of the earth. In this manner, he is very much telling us that the key to having what we need is a more hands-off approach, at least in terms of how much we're grasping at and attempting to hold on to. The justice of heaven lifts the poor, cares for the hurting, and seeks to level the playing field for all. Where that is the desired outcome, all will have all they need. In many ways, the prosperity that we see in the world now where we don't worry about food or clothing, is a result of the bottom of the population pool being pulled up to unprecedented levels of prosperity. The concern with making sure the bottom end can eat and can have access to clean water and shelter and clothing has allowed for success for greater numbers of people. That kind of justice is kingdom justice, true justice for all. Some of the frustrations that people express about jobs going overseas or too much talk about minorities reveal that hard truth that sometimes we fail to see how interconnected we all are. Just because someone else is finally succeeding or getting more than they have had before is not an indication that you are losing, it is evidence that we are all winning. If the rising tide raises all boats, then don't pray for the success of your boat. Pray for the rising tide. Jesus concludes this segment with the following in Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I do not worry about 2023, for it will worry about its own things, which seems to mean that there will be problems in the new year, but the context and the people of that time will deal with it as it comes. Instead, I'm hopeful, because I know that I'm valuable, and I know that you are valuable. As long as I remember that, I will live in a way that matters. And if we both do that, then our 2023 will be better than we can imagine, no matter what trouble we encounter. The Father is our source, the kingdom is our destiny, and indeed, all things shall be added to us. Happy New Year, and grace to you.